0: I love this church. Where, where else could somebody walk up and give, give you a hug in the middle of the service to tell you that they're leaving? We love you, Dot. And we, and we praise the Lord. Thanks, Bob. Would you turn with me to Luke uh, 6, I believe? Five? Five? Thanks. <laughs> Getting a little ahead of myself. Luke 5, starting at verse 27. Jesus calls Levi and eats with sinners. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet, a party, for Jesus at his house. And a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees, it's one of the God's Word. Well, what would make a grown man with a well-paying job respond to only two words? Follow me. By getting up from his desk, quitting his well-paying job on the spot, and then um, spending much of what he has on a party for Jesus and his friends leaving his entire life, everything he's, he's known, for something totally unknown. There's got to be more than meets the eye going on here. What would make a grown man leave everything for two words? Well, let's enter that more that's going on here by beginning with who Levi is and what is a tax collector. So, what does it mean that he collects taxes, or that he's a tax collector? Well, God's been working... With a group of people, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and from them the people of Israel, for about 1400 years by this point. God's been attempting to work through that people. He said, you're going to be my people, and I'm going to bless the world through you. That's the promise he made to Abraham. He's been attempting to work through them to bring what? Blessing. Of what? Healing. Forgiveness of sins. Light. Into a dark world. But what's happening? His people aren't cooperating. And so his people have become actually more like the world that God's trying to reach through them than they've actually become like the God who's trying to reach the world. And so what does God do? He allows them to be punished, He allows them to go into captivity to Babylon for 70 years. And then they return so they've returned, and they've, they've been out of Babylon for over 400 years, but they're not free. They're still ruled by the pagan Roman Empire, and so God's people, who are made to be free and to worship God, detest the Romans, and they especially hate paying taxes to the Romans. It's like... Uh, I mean, the Romans are the enemy. They're the enemy of them. They're the enemy of God, right? And they're being forced to support the Roman system. And, And so they fiercely, the Jews fiercely hate anyone who collects taxes for the Romans because tax collectors are Jewish people who work as agents for the Roman enemy. And so not only do they fill the enemy's purse But they also use their uh, position, they abuse their position to fill their own pockets. And so tax collectors are seen as defectors. Somebody who's spying for Russia, right, we would see as a defector. Tax collectors are seen as defectors. They're traitors. They are thieves. And in fact, there is not a, a worse position or role that a Jewish man could be in than that of a tax collector. It's like the ultimate insult. And so, being a tax collector comes with this huge price. If you agree to be a tax collector, you're essentially saying, I agree to be an outcast. I am not. I, I, I understand I'm not even going to be welcomed by anyone in this society anymore. So, tax collectors aren't allowed to serve as witnesses or judges because they're not considered reliable. They're expelled or they're kicked out from the synagogue, which is the way, their way of saying church. They're, they're kicked out of the whole religious community, So anybody who's going to take this position as a tax collector knows that they're accepting public and personal hatred. Now pause for a second. As human beings, made in the image of God, we're made for love. We are made to be in loving friendships, loving families, and loving communities. So I can't imagine that any man or woman would ever choose this position of tax collector without feeling like they didn't have much of a choice. So maybe Levi ran out of options. Felt like he ran out of options for how to support his family. Perhaps he'd made some poor financial decisions and he's got no way of paying his debts. Maybe he's already endured a childhood flooded with rejection and torment at the hands of others and and this doesn't seem like it's going to be much worse. Maybe he is just plain greedy, and he takes the job for easy money without thinking about the consequences we don't know, but whatever it is you've got to think it's got to be painful for Levi to accept being in this role of tax collector because it's not just the position it's not like everybody in that community looks at the position and hates it. they hate the person who's in it, and we're not made to endure hatred right? Hatred's like poison for our souls, and so what what does it take to get into that position well here's here's Jesus here's Jesus standing in front of Levi and he says to Levi follow me now what does Levi hear when Jesus says follow me you hear those words and maybe you think that means come believe in me come watch me come whatever but what is Levi here when Jesus says those words. Every Jewish boy starts his education at a school called Bet Sefer, or what that means is House of the Book. And it's kind of like a Jewish equivalent to primary school. For four years, four or five years, six to ten years old, all Jewish boys would go to the school and they would memorize Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. First five books of the Bible. All they would do, memorize it. When they would get to the end of that school... They would The best of them, the cream of the crop, would enter another level of school, kind of like our um, middle school, but they would call it um, Bet Talmud, or House of Learning. And for the next five years, 10 to 14, they would memorize the rest of the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. So now they've got the old Old Testament, 800 pages in your Bible, memorized by 14 years old. At the end of that time, the best of the best of those students would go and they would present themselves to a rabbi or a teacher with the goal of trying to be apprenticed to that rabbi and trying to enter a third level of school, which would be called Bet Midrash. And the students here, if you made it into that 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 level of schooling, it would be like the equivalent of our Ivy League and the best of best of our Ivy League elite students. And so to get into that school, a rabbi would ask you question after question after question to see if you really were the best. And so one of those questions might be like this. How many times does the word well, you know, like a well in the ground, occur in the book of Genesis? And these students would have to search their mental memory bank of the whole 50 chapters of Genesis and count the number of times well occurred and give the answer. And a rabbi would ask answer after answer or question after question after question because each of the rabbis had um, a particular way of reading and then teaching the scriptures which they called their yoke. Their yoke was their way of understanding and teaching it. and Jesus talks about this in Matthew 11 where he says, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. He says, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what he's talking about. Rabbis had a yoke. Their yoke was their way of teaching. And so each of the rabbis wanted to be especially selective about who they would choose because they were choosing students that they thought could carry their yoke and could eventually become exactly like them. And so when a rabbi had asked enough questions of one of these students who'd made it all the way through and he thought that student was capable of carrying his yoke and becoming like him, he would finally say to that student the two words that every Jewish boy grew up longing to hear. And those were the words, lek hakri. Come, follow me. And then the disciple would follow the rabbi and he would shadow his every single move. The way the rabbi ate, he would eat. The way the rabbi spoke, he would spoke. The way, the things the rabbi looked at, he would look at. And the goal was that he would become exactly like the rabbi. And he could do this, he'd be inspired to do this because of the confidence that the rabbi had placed in him by calling him to follow in the first place. And so the call, follow me, was both the call and the confidence that one could become like the teacher. Now, here's Jesus standing in front of Levi. Levi the hated. Levi the sinner. Levi the traitor. Levi the thief. Levi the cut off and cast out. Levi who feels unforgivable. And Jesus says, Come, follow me. Jesus speaks the two words that every boy longed to hear to a man who's demonstrated zero ability to follow anybody, let alone the Son of God. Levi hasn't gone to Bet Talmud or a Bet Midrash. He hasn't memorized the Bible. He doesn't even go to church. He's been kicked out of the religious life. He's flunked. He's been excluded because he's an unholy traitor. And here's the Son of God standing in front of him saying, come shadow me. Come, become like me. I see through all of your stains, all the stains that your sins and others have made. I see through the train wreckage of your life. I see past your poor decisions and all your hurts and your inadequacies. And I believe, I have the confidence that you can become like me. Where on earth does Jesus get the confidence to look at Levi and say those words? Jesus is able to place this confidence in Levi because Jesus is unlike any human teacher or rabbi. And so where the other Jewish rabbis expect their students to dig deep and find within themselves, within themselves the inner resources To be able to become like the Master, Jesus is the teacher who gives himself, gives himself to his students. Jesus knows that he's headed toward a cross upon which he will bear the sins of the world in his death, and from which he will rise from the dead, and not only rise, but ascend to heaven where the Scripture says He's glorified and that once He's glorified, He pours out His Spirit upon His people. He gives His Spirit. He gives Himself to His people. Jesus knows that the capacity to follow Him and to become like Him doesn't come from us. doesn't come from within a man or a woman. It comes from Jesus to us. And so Jesus can look any man or any woman whose life is a sin-stained train wreck in the face and he can say confidently, Come, follow me. Levi has likely had exposure to Jesus before this moment. Jesus has been ministering in this area for a while. And the word's gotten around and probably Levi's even seen Jesus at work. Probably... Levi knows who's standing in front of him. But now, Levi's being faced with the love of God straight in the eyes. That love's looking him in his eyes and it's calling him out of his deadness, out of his rebellion, and it's giving him another chance. And it's telling him, you are redeemable. You're lovable. You're forgiven. You're... Mine. You're going to follow Me. It's telling Him, you're going to follow Me and become like Me. What do you do? What do you do when the Son of God is looking you in the eyes with love, calling you out of one life and into another? When He knows all your sins, when He knows everything you hate about yourself, and still he's saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. You can become like me. You get up, you put down your old life, and you start a new one with Jesus. And if you're Levi, and you have an awareness of the size of the gift that you've just been given, you throw a party for Jesus, because you want to thank Jesus. And you want to honor Him. But also because you want everybody else to meet Jesus and to receive what you've just received. And so the first thing that Levi shows us this morning is that following Jesus is a public decision. That faith in Jesus is not private. It's very public. From the very beginning, we might not have a full awareness of who Jesus is or whom we're following, but we may declare publicly and boldly, I belong to Jesus Christ. I'm His. Levi also shows us that we don't need to be a Christian for any length of time. We don't need to to, um, have reached a certain maturity or a certain amount of knowledge before we start leading other people to Jesus. He just says to his friends, come, come, just like that woman at the well. Come and meet a man who told me everything about my life. Come, come and meet a man who just looked me in the eyes and in one false swoop forgave me of everything. Come and meet love of God in the flesh. And so he throws a party. Levi brings people to Jesus, and not everybody's happy about the party. At a distance stand some of the religious leaders of the day, the people who've actually given Levi the boot from church, and they're wondering, why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? Because in their culture, to eat with somebody is a sign of friendship and acceptance. And so Jesus isn't merely agreeing to come to Levi's party because he wants to be polite. Or because he needs another opportunity to share the love of God. No, Jesus is actually quite intentionally placing himself in the position of their friend. He's making a statement. He's showing himself to be a friend. A friend of sinners. And when Luke says sinners, he means notoriously evil people. He means not only tax collectors, but thieves, murderers, prostitutes, liars, vagrants, you name it, abusers. He means evil, clearly making wrong, evil choices, living lives that aren't good. And sitting with and eating with and befriending them is Jesus. Jesus demonstrating the heart of God the Father toward all people who are stuck in sin. And that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense to these religious leaders because they think, you know, isn't that, isn't that like befriending them? Isn't that like condoning their sin? Isn't that like agreeing with it? You know? They can't separate that out. But Jesus isn't condoning their lifestyles. Actually, Jesus is calling them to Repent. He's offering them forgiveness and life if and, and as they turn from sin to following Him. But what He's doing, notice this, what He's doing is He's getting close enough to them to build bridges of trust. He's getting close enough to them so that they can actually experience the real heart of God, the Father. So that they can tangibly sense and see and receive from Him the love and the kindness that motivates God the Father to send Him in the first place. So that they can hear the message, the Son of Man didn't come to condemn the world, but to save it. He's getting close enough so that their hearts can be opened first to the love of God. And then from that place, of them experiencing the love of God. Remember we talked about having experience with Jesus. They're having an experience, and then he's calling them to repent. He's not buttering it up. He's 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 remember John says Jesus came full of grace and truth, he's coming full of grace, and then in that place of grace he says, Come out, come out from sin, leave it. He speaks the truth boldly and plainly, but they can hear it because they can sense that Jesus loves them. Jesus says this clearly when he says it's not the healthy who need a sick, it's the doc- it's but a, it's not who need a doctor, but the sick. And when he says it's not the healthy who need a doctor, he's not implying that the Pharisees are healthy. It's not what he's saying. He's not implying that anybody's healthy. Actually, he's saying all people must recognize themselves as sinners before they can be spiritually healed. Humility precedes healing. And these people that are dining with Jesus, they recognize themselves as needing spiritual healing. That's why they've come to Jesus. And Jesus is glad to bring it. For God has such, such deep love for the world, for every one of us, that He sent Jesus that whoever should believe in Him might not perish but may have eternal life. And so Jesus comes to us again this morning. And He comes as a friend of sinners. And He comes and He says to us, again, come and follow Me. Become like Me. And so He says to those who've known Jesus for, for some time, perhaps many years, Jesus says, come follow Me more closely until you too may be labeled A friend of sinners, until you can be accused of building real friendship, real relationship with people whose lives are a muddled mess. Walk with me until you are welcome in their homes and they are welcome in your home. Come follow me. And to those who might see themselves in Levi's shoes, maybe partially. Maybe all, maybe see themselves as an outcast or as unlovable or unforgivable or too dirty or beyond redemption. Jesus says, nobody, nobody is beyond redemption. Nobody is beyond God's love. And Jesus says, put down your old life. Put down all parts of your old life. Put down your old ways of thinking and living. Follow Me. Become like Me. Not in your own strength, but in the power of My Holy Spirit. And Jesus says, seek Me, follow Me, call on Me, and I will fill your life. I will fill it to the brim with My Holy Spirit And with the love of God the Father. Amen. I'd like to lead us into prayer. Um, And I'm going to lead us into a time of silence where we can respond to what Jesus is saying to us this morning. Lord Jesus, we hear You calling us clearly. We hear You calling us to become more like You We hear you calling us to trust the love of God enough that we leave sin, that we leave old ways of living. We hear you even saying that we can and will become like you because of your spirit at work in our lives. And so, Jesus, we say yes. And we pray, hear our yes, even as we pray in our hearts right now. Lord, hear our yes. Lord, thank You that Your work in our lives is initiated by You and depends upon You. And I pray that You would give the grace to every one of us to cooperate with Your leading, with the work of Your Spirit. And so Lord, for those of us who know You, but not very well, I pray that You'd set a hunger in our hearts to know You. I pray that You'd set a a new hunger in our hearts for Your Word, God, that we couldn't get enough of your word and of meeting with you through it. Lord, for those of us that are um, still just filled with hurt and need you to come and heal, um, Lord, give us the grace to trust you enough to keep following and keep letting you work. For those of us who know you well, have followed you long, and yet you're calling deeper in terms of becoming like you, Lord, give us the courage.